Jews Tenet, from Janssen, University of Copenhagen, as it says up there. We'll be feeding the elderly, and the project is just starting, so all feedback is welcome. So all is, all is new. Yes. So. Yep, thank you so much. Uh, so this is uh, the title of my new project, and as Tony said, everything is work in progress. So, uh, so feel free to make any kind of comments you like. Uh, the title is a study of political, societal, and individual practices regarding food for the elderly in Denmark uh, in the 20th and 21st centuries. So, uh, just a brief presentation of me. Uh, I have a background in history, and uh, for this project, I am working in both history and ethnology, which is sort of unique in the University of Copenhagen. I think I'm the first at the Saxo Institute to have been sort of employed across disciplines. So uh, that has proved interesting in many ways. Um, but well, what I do is cultural history of food in Denmark in the 20th and 21st centuries. And I did my PhD on long-term developments in food consumption in Denmark in the 20th century. Um, so sort of a related but different topic. And my specific interests are sort of the quality of food, perceptions of quality in food and the quality of food itself. So I've been working with both sort of the product side, the consumer side, and this project then takes me on to sort of the political societal uh, dimension of that as well. Uh, underneath sort of the quality of food umbrella, I am or have been uh, working on sort of the macronutrient and uh, the understandings of the chemical compositions of food and what that does to our understandings of quality. Um, especially the protein. In this project, which is called CALM, um, well, it's an interdisciplinary research project on, and this is a very long title, which is why we have renamed it CALM, Counteracting Age-Related Loss of Skeletal Muscle Mass, an interdisciplinary innovation project on making lifestyle changes through exercise and diet. That was what we could come up with. <laughs> so, um, well, what it's all about is that it combines researchers from, from sort of different research traditions, uh, and we work to combine sort of a, a long intervention trial, it's a one-year intervention trial, with an innovation project to find the optimal combination of protein, and inta protein intake and exercise uh, in the elderly, and then sort of the cultural side of it, the side that I belong to, uh, is to analyze cultural, social, individual structures in everyday life to see if we can find out where are sort of the barriers for lifestyle change in the elderly. And that's sort of where my project fits in. The research structure is sort of we have a group of physiologists dealing with sort of the muscular uh, strength part that they, they analyze muscles and what happens when we put the protein in and they do different kinds of exercise. Uh, then we have the microbiological and sensoric departments and they are doing various works on the protein shake that we're giving the elderly there to receive sort of a protein shake three times a day for one year and they're supposed to drink it every time. So we have some sensorians working on how can we improve the product. Then we have some microbiologists working on what are the effects of increasing the amount of protein in the elderly to their intestinal uh, bacteria. Because 
that might prove to be one of the obstacles if their digestion stops or it alters in specific ways, it might sort of interfere with the compliance. And then we have a group of ethnologists and historians, me being a historian, uh, investigating sort of cultural and everyday life aspects of uh, this intervention. Oh, and I forgot to say that they all feed into the innovation project, which is at the bottom. And the purpose of the innovation project is to sort of combine basic research with innovation and to develop, to use our results, our various results, combine them and come up with recommendations, projects, products, uh, and welfare tools, as we call them, which can be sort of a combination of recommendations and ready-made stickers to put on the food or recommendations for sort of exercise uh, ways. Uh, so that's what we hope to, to sort of gain from it. So sort of the overall aim of CALM is to optimize the health of the elderly. Uh, and we perceive that as being uh, health, as being muscular strength, uh, which can be enhanced through diet and exercise. The aim of my project is then to focus on cultural and societal structures which shaped the understandings of health and elderly and food. And uh, as I said, to sort of to identify the hidden obstacles and to find possible new ways to promote uh, enhanced compliance. Uh, and compliance, my understanding, is dietary change. I only focus on diet, not sort of the exercise. They they interlap, but uh, mostly diet. So just as in sort of the entire COUNT project, the logic of my project and the way it's structured is that it's supposed to investigate from structures and basic research uh, to practices and innovation. So it's sort of it's a study that sort of moves on different levels. Um, and I intend to do that by, for one, investigate the political and scientific developments in the discourse on elderly diet and especially protein. <clears throat> then I will also focus on current procedures in the municipality of Copenhagen regarding food and the elderly. So that's sort of the, the ethnological uh, studies coming in there. Then thirdly I have an interview part of the study uh, where I interview the participants that sort of the elderly that we are uh, the population of the intervention. Uh, intervention. Uh, and try to grasp what are their understandings of food, why do they eat what they eat and what is important for them with food. So try to unite sort of different levels. And one I'll be talking about today is the top one. Um, and how to do that, how to investigate sort of the political discourse changes uh, in Denmark. Well. I stumbled across something that might be interesting and which proved to sort of to guide the research I've done so far as I was told to do a presentation for the elderly in Copenhagen about food, what is food and the elderly, food to the elderly, uh, historically speaking, uh, in Denmark. So, I dug around in some of the archives and I came across, among many things, one of one of these, which is sort of dietary regulations from a nursery home, not in Copenhagen, in another uh, part of Denmark, but from 1912. So that was what, this is what we have on food and old people uh, from the beginning of the 20th century. 
Then I was to take it up till now, and then I stumbled across, among many things, this, which is uh, sort of the front page of the Municipal Dietary Politics for Elderly Appetite for Life, uh, which goes from well, it's 2012 to 2016. So this, this was a massive change, I found from food being something you put on a notice board on the wall, and that was sort of it, to develop politics, uh, initiatives, the every single sort of care for the elderly initiative in Copenhagen right now involves food in one way or the other. And this is sort of captivated in this politics. So, it had me wondering, why has food become such an important aspects of the public initiatives aiming at improving the health of the elderly and in elderly care as such. Why? Um, why not, not something else? And what are the implications of this change? In order to, uh, to look into that, I thought, well, what to do, what to do? And uh, I thought, well, all these initiatives are sort of on the municipal level. So that would make sense to go to municipal archives. And so I did. And in Copenhagen, we're very lucky to have uh, all meetings in the City Council of Copenhagen have been stenographed and are published from the mid-17th century. So, there you have it. It's an excellent source where you can go through social policy, policy in Copenhagen uh, for several hundred years. And um, first I had to sort of to, to discover what are some of the areas of uh, municipal responsibility regarding the elderly. Because if I had to, f I had to locate the discourses on the elderly, so where to find it? And uh, the most important discussions were actually conducted around the building of public nursing homes. That has proved to be a very uh, lively debate, and in it, uh, all sort of the, the understandings of the time, of the bodies of the elderly, what were the elderly supposed to do, their role in society, uh, were visible and present. I also found something in discussions on how to calculate and pay subsidies, which is very big in Denmark, because, uh, well, as a welfare state, we continuously uh, have been paying for more and more services for all citizens, but especially for the elderly throughout the 20th and 21st century. Um, and some of the other roles that the municipality has has also sort of revealed elements of this uh, discourse on the elderly and how it has changed over time. So by reading 100 years of social uh, policy on the elderly, I discovered an interesting thing. Um, the underlying logic of the initiatives taken on the elderly in before in 1955 were dominated by the logic of the municipality provides a new service, the citizens get accustomed to it, they start complaining, and they demand another or an extended service. The welfare state says all the politicians say, that sounds about right, we're going to improve this and this. And then so the circle went. Um, in this sort of discourse, health and diet were not that important. That was not what was seen as sort of uh, the goal. At this point, 
the, the emphasis was on building new nursing homes, expanding the possibilities of maintaining and caring for, for the elderly. After 55, on the other hand, this had changed. Uh, and I, I found that after 55, health and diet became increasingly important. And it became increasingly important in a system that was no longer as simple as it had been, uh, but I had now switched to the municipality provide a service. The citizens get accustomed to the service, start complaining, and once more, or a different service. But we now have the extra level of the expenses, which had been growing extensively throughout the first part of the century, and by 55, everybody knew that this could not continue. So if there were to be new services, they had to be cheaper. And there had to be new services because that was what the citizens wanted, and the citizens voted for the politicians. So we had sort of a, a new kind of system. And what is interesting for the historian in me is that most history done on the welfare state begins in 55. So by adding sort of the first part of the 20th century, it becomes possible for me, and I've seen this in my PhD as well, that by including the first half of the 20th century, it becomes possible to make sort of a contrast. To contrast it, yeah? Is 1955 a key year when something changed, or is it just a kind of... That's, it's the 50s. So I say 55 because uh, the economics, they improved dramatically from 55. So we see sort of other changes elsewhere in society. <clears throat> and then in 1956, we had the public pension is uh, initiated. Before 1956, the public pension wasn't as, as extensive as it is today. So there are so in the mid fifties many things changed, uh, but it but it is very interesting that the majority of history and welfare state focuses on the latter part of the century because it then adopts sort of the understandings that we see in the nineteen fifties. They don't go beyond that. So that I find quite interesting. But what had happened uh, with food and diet? Why why did the perception of it change? And I started looking and I found the phrase, keeping them at home. The keeping them at home appeared for the first time in 1935, uh, but at the time, new nursery homes were in the fashion, so it was said that it might be practical if we keep the elderly at home. They're not supposed to go into, into institutions. And the politicians said, yeah, well, we're going to build new nursing homes anyway, so you know, it doesn't really matter. But by 1955, as I said, the logic had to change because everybody could see this was not a durable solution. Um, we had lack of nursing homes, lack of hospital beds because the elderly were taking up space from other sick people in the hospital because they could not come to nursing homes. There was no one to care for them. Um, and the expenses were just shooting. They were increasing. So, all of a sudden, the keeping them at home became very attractive. After 1955, that is the logic that drives the care for the elderly in Denmark. There is none, no other, and it still prevails today. This is sort of the, it's the system we think within. And what happened to the perceptions of health and food in this change? Well, it became important that the elderly remained healthier for longer time. 
it was it became the goal that they were to not be admitted to nursing homes at all. Uh, and if that was to happen, they had to stay healthy practically until the day they died. <clears throat> so, how to do that? Well, the municipality, they started increasing the information on health, giving to the elderly. They started publishing uh, flyers and books and having meetings and all kinds of things. Um, and in these, it's very clear that health was food and exercise. That was sort of the two parameters of health. Uh, and by focusing on them, they continue to become increasingly more important. What was also good for the municipality by focusing on food and exercise was that you could lay the responsibility for much of this improvement in the citizens. Because it became the citizens' responsibility to eat right because they were told what to eat. So you're expected to eat right, and you're expected to exercise right. So the municipality, in keeping them at home, were able to sort of push some of the responsibility away and over to the consumer side. It furthermore had sort of the beneficial effect that the new nursing homes were not so important anymore, because we were all expecting that when the elderly started eating and exercising right, they would not need to go into public institutions and therefore there was no need to build any. Very much of this logic was built around uh, the elderly's desire to stay at home. This is a very important sort of part of the argument uh, for the politicians, that this is not something they have come up with, it's what the elderly want, and I'm sure that's completely true. It's uh, the same way today. They actually they do wish to stay at home, but it also was a, it was a, was a good foundation for the argument and a way to keep it solid uh, for the politicians. Uh, but um, the implications of it was actually that by keeping the elderly at home, in the latter part of the century, we have seen increasing problems with loneliness in the elderly because they're at home until they're so old that they have no one. And uh, that leads to physical and psychological problems, which leads to malnutrition, which leads to new psychosocial initiatives to increase the intake of food, and blah, 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 so, so it goes around. And this is very important for sort of the role of food today, because it's been caught up in all of these problems uh, created uh, in sort of the keeping them at home domain. So, how has this changed the role of food uh, in the care of the elderly and how has it changed our understanding of what food is for the elderly? Well, in the beginning of the century, sort of the dietary guidelines described food as the mass of macronutrients. The elderly were supposed to be given some amount of certain foods to fill them up and that was it. That was food. Uh, but by focusing more on the importance of food for health, it became to be considered as one of the determining factors of physical and social well-being in the elderly. So sort of to phrase it down, 
food went from being maintenance, nutrients, to being a therapeutic treatment, to be about taste, experience, a social space, emotions, to sort of, to be life, to be the good life. But why, why was it this domain that prevailed? Well, I've, sort of, I've, I've spoken a bit about it earlier. But I think the reason it became so efficient and that the, the welfare state today is, is unable to think of solutions that does not involve the keeping them at home. Um, and I think it succeeded because it united the interest of the welfare state uh, with, with the interest of the elderly. Many did not want to go to nursing homes. And the welfare state could say, well, you don't have to, you just eat right, then you can stay at home. Everybody's happy. Food and exercise part uh, of keeping them at home was easy to put into to action. It was because it triggered sort of this, it was the same exercise with the elderly as it had been earlier on in the century for the working parts of the population and the children where the public initiatives on improving health had also focused on implementing new ways of eating and new ways of exercising. And as I said, well, well, it did prevail in the political system also because it could be delegated to the individual. So it did not increase uh, administrative costs. You just had to produce a little leaflet, send it out, and you had done your, uh, your work as a politician. It was very nice. It also, I think, succeeded because it was in sync with the professionalization of the nutritional science and the increasing predominance of medical thought in sort of Western society. So both sciences were very fast to catch up on these areas of interest to the state. And they developed sort of the a wheel of, of mutual interest and mutual finding each other important and maintaining nutrition and medic and, and sort of physical health as at the center of uh, the elderly care was also in the interest of nutritional science and also of uh, sort of the medical community. But how has this influenced the way we today think of food-related problems and solutions in the elderly care in Denmark? Well, now we think of institutions are only for the weakest. And that leads us to not considering new housing systems, for instance. Because a lot around food is centered on the preparing and the eating part of, uh, of food. And that's a big part for the elderly. By keep, keeping them at home and thinking outside of institutions, we don't think in, in sort of structural ways about how to organize the elderly in, in different kinds of housing around different kinds of mealtime systems. Mm -hmm. um, it has also affected the way that we think about how we induce change in the elderly. We see that in order to improve health, you have to activate food habits and exercise. That's sort of, they run alongside each other. Um, <clears throat> it's the best way to enhance health 
physical and psychological well-being in the elderly. And this means, of course, that you would always need further research. You wouldn't necessarily need to build new kind of housing systems, for instance, but you do need to focus on which kind of protein supplements can increase muscular strength the most, for instance, just to take a random example. Um, on the sort of total image side of things, uh, the keeping them at home has altered our understanding of the aging body and the role of the elderly citizen. That is sort of a large claim to put on one phrase. But uh, without the keeping them at home, maybe the understanding from the beginning of the 20th centuries of the elderly as something you were to maintain and eventually bury would have prevailed or other kinds of understandings would have grown. But the keeping them at home sort of became the umbrella of uh, the, the health understanders who is exercise uh, discourse. So, how can these understandings of the future then affect the world well, of the past affect the future. Well, uh, as I see it from my research now, maybe some of these insights can get us thinking about new ways to think about housing. Is the best thing really for them to sit at home in their villas, alone, somewhere in the suburbs? Or is it something else? Um, what about the desire to stay at home? How, what is it? Is it something that we perceive? Is it something that they generally feel? Do they stop feeling it at some point and really want to go into other kinds of systems where they can meet other people, eat well, be happy? Uh, I think it's, that might be worthwhile uh, consideration. I also think that sort of these insights can maybe help us reopen the discussion on what is health and quality of life in the elderly. Is it necessarily the same as for other adults? Is it to be able to exercise two hours every day and eat all the protein that the, the medical community desires you to do, or is it something else? I also think that these developments have furthered a specific image of the responsibility of the elderly. And I don't think that this image necessarily complies with the image of many of the elderly out there. There are some, and we get them in in our intervention trials, and we, we see that they're active playing golf. Some embrace this idea of keeping active and eating uh, healthy food. Some don't. So maybe we should consider sort of the implications of our understandings of the elderly on their self-perception and their will to change or their need to change. And then I also think that we need to reflect about the implications of researchers wanting to create new areas of research. I think this is a very central uh, feel for the welfare state, and particularly because we pay for everything. So this is uh, all research being done by me, by the majority of people are paid by, by ourselves. So is it really, is it the best way to spend money when we talk about elderly care? Is it 
to try to get them to remain healthy and stay strong for an additional six months? Or is it to place the money in new housing systems, in other kinds of care initiatives, in what have you? Um, yeah. Thank you for the attention.